Well, it's now over 25 years I've had a problem with my sense of smell. It doesn't work uh, because I have sinus trouble. Uh, it's been a long slog, except for the periods of my life where I had uh, prednisone as a medicine. Uh, I haven't had been able to smell. And so that is bad and it's good. I'm grateful that I had it for a little while because at least I know what things should smell like and, uh, and I can uh, enjoy uh, what I think they might smell like. But I also will tell you with four kids, uh, it's been kind of been a blessing as I change diapers, not to have a sense of smell, you know, it, it wouldn't phase me a bit. And, uh, you know, if I'm around people that wear too much perfume or cologne, it doesn't bother me. I mean, I can't smell it. But, you know, it's, uh, it's something I've learned to live with. I prayed for, uh, like Paul did, whatever his thorn in the flesh was, I prayed that, that God would give me back that sense of smell, but it hadn't happened. It reminds me, when I think about that uh, challenge that I have, it always reminds me of a quote by a famous old preacher named Jess Moody. He would say, when people are looking for a church, uh, they choose the church they go to with their noses. What's that mean? Do they like smell the coffee or do they, they smell and sniff everybody? No, it's a metaphor. It's figurative. What he's saying is they choose a church by their experience of the ambiance of the environment. And even more, he said, they choose a church that smells like joy. They choose a church that smells like joy. Joy is evident in a church where people want to be there. Uh, joy is evident in a church where people want to, to interact with each other. And when there's a commonality of purpose, when there's a, a, a unification and mission, people want to be there. The church gets along despite their differences. Likewise, the church can smell like manure if people are, are divided if people are in conflict, if people aren't acting like the God and the Jesus that we see in the scriptures. So we've come today to our end of our study of Romans, uh, the latter chapters, and we've talked all along about the transformed life. And my hope is you've grown as you've been able to be here for these sermons, but even more, I hope our church has grown. I hope our church continues to grow. In unity. I think most Sundays everybody wants to be here. Most Sundays everybody's excited to be here and, and welcoming of others who are unlike ourselves. In a place like where we are, uh, where we have a medium sized state university, where we have a United States Air Force base, we've got people from all over the country. We have people from all over the globe. And we have this great opportunity. It's vital for us to seek and strive for unity. That's what we're talking about today. Unity. Five things I would tell you about unity from the start. Unity is a precious gift from God. It is absolutely a gift. You know, I've been in churches through the years that were disunified, including one church that was called Unity Christian Church. And it was uncomfortable. It was really tough to go there. Unity is a precious gift from God. Secondly, where unity is present, all things are possible. Where unity is present, all things are possible. When a, third, when a church is divided, nothing works right. Fourth, unity is easily lost 
and hard to regrain. It is a precious commodity in the church. And fifth, true unity does not happen by accident. We must pray for it and we must work at it. It must be something that we constantly seek because it takes, uh, it takes a lot of work to subsume our individual preferences, our individual likes, uh, what, how we would do it, how we would dress, how we would look. It takes a lot of surrender. It takes a lot of humility uh, to constantly give that to God for the good of church unity. But our mission is crucial. Our mission is to lead people to Jesus and equip people to follow them. Our mission is to see baptisms like we saw this morning. And even more, to then help grow those folks, whether they're children, whether they're in their 20s, 40s, 60s, whatever. We lead people to Jesus and equip them. And I'm telling you, if we're disunified, if we're divided, that task becomes very difficult. It's crucial for us to focus on unity. So in these three verses, Romans 15, 5 through 7, I think we see uh, three crucial principles about unity that I want to share with you today. The first is the source of unity. Where does unity in the church come from? Well, what does verse 15, or excuse me, verse 5 say? May the God who gives encouragement or endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ. Now that's the NIV. You see up there the TNIV version. Uh, both of them are illustrative to us. First, I want you to see this as a prayer, both verse 5 and verse 6. And what is he saying? Made the God. So God is the source of unity is what he's telling us. God is the one that models for us, that wants us to be united. God's desire has always been for all of the world to be in harmony, for all of life to be in harmony. That's why the first place he created we call Eden. And in that place, there was complete harmony. But selfishness, will, a sin gets in the way. But God models uh, unity for us in the very fact that it tells us we have God the Father in the Scriptures, we have Jesus the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, is a great model for us how three, the Godhead, three uh, different personalities function as one. They become one. They're dedicated to the mission of being one. You see, God is the source of unity, I think we can understand, but I would say the focus of unity is the Son, Jesus Christ. The scripture says that the church is the body of Christ, but it says that Jesus is the head. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the focus of who we are to be. Uh, this church, Northside, is not Sid's church. It's not the elders' church. It's not any of our staff's church. It is the church of Jesus Christ. It is his church. We are his body. And all of us, hopefully, can understand that and look to him for our purpose, for our direction. You see, the root of this word, you see either a spirit of unity or become uh, like-minded. That, that's a, actually what the Greek word means, to be like-minded. Well, whose mind are we to be like? If the focus of unity is Christ, if it's his church, then we're to seek to have his mind. 
We're to seek wherever we've come from, whatever our background, whatever our preferences. We're to seek to have the mind of Christ. Now, you remember, if you've been here the last few weeks, I've talked about there's a crucial distinction as we talk about unity uh, that we must believe together in the essential doctrines, in the primary doctrines the Scripture teaches. Who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is. We must agree on the biblical teachings about each of those central doctrines. But most of the church conflicts, most of the divisions I've witnessed, I've read about through the years, they happen over secondary issues. Uh, We must be like-minded in what the scriptures teach us about Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit and the personality, the purpose of the church. But those other things we can agree to disagree. Those other things uh, we can let go. We need to be pulling together. Reminds me of a word in Swahili, uh, hamrambe is how you say it. Harambe means to pull together. You know, the, just now we have in Alaska going on the Iditarod Trail Race. Uh, sad news from there yesterday, a snowmobile ran into two dog teams. Uh, but this is a sled race annually in Alaska uh, that uh, we focus on. It, it calls to mind to me that uh, the, how a, a dog team works together. A team of eight or nine Huskies, uh, they are leashed together. They pull together with a sled and a a sled filled with provisions and a a driver. It's amazing how uh, the sum of the parts of those dogs pulling together is so powerful. Far greater than if you uh, separately had nine dogs pull uh, something. Uh, They can pull far more when they're working together. So also, I think God means for the church to be not just a bunch of individuals doing our own ministries, doing our own things. God means for the church to be us, Harambe, pulling together for a common goal, a common purpose, a common mission. It's to direct people to Jesus. I read of a foreign missionary who was in a remote village, and he was going to another remote village. He had to go through Uh, lots of jungle to get there and so he was assigned a guide to get him there and he thought no problem Uh, I'll just walk along with this guide and we'll get there well to his chagrin he uh, discovered soon there was no trail and the guide pulled out his machete and just started hacking jungle away (laughs) and the missionary's like what if this guy doesn't know where he's going and there's no path And he shared those concerns with the God. And the God said, do not worry. Just follow me. I am the path. The Bible says that Jesus said to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All who want to go to the Father come through me. See? So as we unite in understanding and surrendering our will to the will of Christ, as we make our church devoted to the head who is Christ. We can set aside our differences and pull together. That is in finding that source of unity, which is a transition to verse 6. Verse 6 tells us the goal of that unity. Why does God want to bring us all together? Why does he want us to have synergy, the sum of our individual parts being much greater, much improved as we come together? 
Verse 6 says, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You may glorify, you may exalt him. Not for individual glory, but as you come together, you, you give God a smile on his face. You give God the credit, God the glory. That's what God wants to see happen in his church, in his churches. He wants to see us glory. Uh, him glorified. If we see other churches doing good work for Christ, we shouldn't be jealous. We should give God glory for that, uh, express it to him. As different ones of our believers uh, experience uh, successes of some kind, we give God the glory for that. We exalt in God. Uh, you, the mindset here is that out of our heart and ma- mouth is devoted to Christ, that's united in Christ, then we bring harmony to bear. You know, you might not know this about me, but I played trumpet. I said played, not play. I played till I was in sixth grade. My lips are still numb from <laughs> blowing the mouthpiece of a trumpet. But if you go to see an orchestra, you'll see the trumpets warming up, and you'll see the strings, and you'll maybe hear the the oboes and the clarinets, and they're all doing their own exercises. They're all doing their own thing. It sounds like uh, there's this Greek word, cacophony. You know what that means? A really bad sound. It, they're all play, playing their own little warm-ups. Sounds like a bunch. You, you wonder, why did I pop a ticket to this? Or why did I, why did I let my wife bring me to this? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but then the conductor gets up front. And he raises his hands, and there's silence. And then he begins to lead the orchestra. And beautiful music comes out. It's what God wants to see in his church. And by the way, the principles I'm talking about today don't just apply to church. They apply to marriage. They apply to family. As well, God wants to see his believers working together, coming together with their different gifts and their different abilities, but united in a common purpose, in harmony. And that praises God. As we surrender our individual wills and come together collectively, using our own unique gifts and talents and life forces that God has given us, that beautiful music gets played. People get saved. People get helped. People get built up in the body of Christ. That's what God needs us to do, to surrender our individual will. I read of a man one time in a church. The church was having a a tough time. Uh, They had a a big, huge shade tree that had been there as long as the church had been there, Uh, but it was dying. And a church was having a wrestling match within the church. There were different opinions about whether the tree should be cut down or not. And so it was a pretty heated discussion. One older man argued long to preserve that tree But when the church voted, the decision went the other way. On the day that they were to cut the tree down, guess who was the first one to show up? The older man. But not to protest. Not to differ. 
Someone said, I thought you didn't want that tree cut down. And he said, I don't. But we decided to cut it down, so I'm here to help. That is working in harmony. That's what the church should be. Leading me to verse 7, the proof of unity. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. We think of praise with our mouths. We think of praise as our singing, our corporate worship. But, but listen, as you accept these principles, as you learn not to judge, but, but to accept people who think differently than you, who are united in the, the essential doctrines, but come together with our different opinions, you learn to do that, it brings praise to God. Acceptance, mutual acceptance, is what God wants to see happen in his church. <clears throat> and who's our model? Jesus. Joe did a great job in the community meditation of talking about how we didn't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to get to a certain level of maturity uh, to be accepted by God. Uh, God understands that we're all sinners and we all need grace. It's sometimes easy for us to forget that as we look at others who maybe look differently or dress differently than us, who like different songs than us, who want different kinds of lessons than us, a different appearance of the building than us. It's, it's sometimes easy to forget that we're all sinners here. <laughs> we're all saved by grace. We all had to be accepted by God through Jesus Christ. So it's for us to accept one another. It's for us to do the same. But I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. Because you just don't understand how could they think that way, right? It's hard work to have a church that's united, but so worth it. It is so necessary. I want to leave you with two questions for application that I want you to ask yourself as we go through the rest of today and into the next week as we're heading into Easter. This wraps up Romans, the Romans series. These really could be two questions for applications for the whole for application for the whole series. How is it that I can be accepting non-judgmental? How is it that I can do my part but also uh, be accepting of others and not judgmental of them in areas secondary areas secondary areas of difference, non-scriptural differences? How can I do that? First, the first question you ask yourself is, do I pray often for unity? Do I pray often for unity? Uh, in earlier years, my prayers were specifically for health and, and uh, different things. But listen, praying for unity needs to be, I think, toward the top of your list. And as I said... If you're married, I think you need to pray for unity in your marriage. If you're in a family, you need to pray for unity of the family. And certainly as a part of this body, you pray for the unity of the church. One thing that always has stood out to me and moved me about our eldership. And listen, our eldership has changed in the 10 years I've been here. But there's always been a commonality to uh, two ideas that have been resonant through that group. One, uh, they are not rulers. They see themselves as servants, which is scriptural. But unfortunately, it's not the case 
in a lot of places. Two, most every meeting that we have, we end with prayer. And at least one of the elders, every time we pray, prays for us to be united. They pray for our unity. Listen, in the eldership, they don't have votes on decisions. They talk out the differences, the pros and cons of different decisions until they can come to a consensus. And we've actually tabled stuff, waited to make a decision on something because we were dis, uh, dis, in disagreement. We were divided. <laughs> do you pray often for unity? Please do that. Unity in your marriage if you're married. Unity in your family. Unity in our church body. The second question is maybe one you don't want to hear me say. Maybe you're like, you were doing good to that question. Am I willing to change? Ask yourself that. Am I willing to change? It is so much easier to see what others need to change, isn't it? My kids are driving me nuts. Change them, Lord. My husband ignores, it, ignores me. Change him, Lord. My wife is getting on my nerves and my boss is a jerk. Change them both, Lord. Perhaps we instead should pray this simple Chinese prayer. Oh, Lord, change the world. Begin, I pray thee, with me. As the old spiritual says, it's me, it's me, oh, Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Before we ask God to change anyone else, We need to look in the mirror. After all, can you control the change of anyone else? But that's our default. That's what we think about. How can we change them? I want you to take a moment and do a quick inventory. Here are some attitudes and actions that hinder unity in the church. That's a long list, so listen carefully. Gossip, slander, anger, bitterness, selfishness. Selfishness, an argumentative spirit, having to win every time, spreading rumors, holding grudges, majoring on the minors, a lack of courtesy, being easily irritated, avoiding people, looking away, ducking in their room so you don't have to talk to anyone, focusing on the faults of others, finding reasons to criticize, refusing to work together. And then there's all these, judging people primarily by age, Sex, size, physical appearance, skin color, culture, language, dress, occupation, or income. Comparing everyone to yourself or to your standards. Are you guilty of any of these things? No, no, not me. Perhaps a good test would be to show this list to another person and ask them, am I guilty of these things? It'd take courage to do that. But it also might lead you, it also might lead me to make needed changes. People change slowly, if at all. We know how true that that statement is when applied to others. But stop for a moment and think about how that applies to your life. How long does it take for you to change a habit or an attitude? For all of us, the answer is always the same. It takes A long time. And I would add, it takes the Lord working in us. That's why it's much easier to pray, Lord, change my wife or change my husband or change my kids. 
It's because it's easier to talk about others' failures than to look at our own and how we need to change. Maybe you remember the famous Pogo cartoon which said, we have met the enemy and he is us. You may be your own worst enemy. One reason we don't change in our attitude toward others, I think, is that we, want, we don't want to let the truth get too close. A while back, I saw a piece of paper that said, the truth will set you free, but it will hurt you first. It struck me then and strikes me now as a profound insight in the process of change. Truth does hurt, but it is so good for us. We prefer to live in a fantasy land of falsehood. But wow, if we can learn how to treat others, to treat them like God would. If we can learn to accept them like God does. If we can learn not to say awful things about our friends, our family, our church members, and then to say, I was only kidding, but we weren't kidding at all. Would the church be a different place? I think Northside We are doing pretty well, but I also think we can do oh so much better, and I think we must do better. We must become more unified. We must become dedicated as individuals joining together to be the body of Christ, united. The stakes are crucial. Some years ago, a two-year-old girl was lost. She was Canadian in the middle of winter. So there's an urgency as they, the parents called the neighbors and community together, and many folks showed up. They started at the, the parents' house, and they saw some tracks in the snow, but soon there were tracks everywhere uh, because it was a busy area, this meadow that led into a forest. And so they gathered together, and they all started searching for this little girl, calling out, Her name, they didn't know how long she'd been missing. A little before sunset, one of them had an idea and and called all the people together uh, with a megaphone that they had and and said, y'all all come together. We need to link hands. We need to hold hands and in a long line go through this meadow and into this forest. And so they did that, still calling her name until they came to her little body, curled beneath a tree, frozen. And one of them said, oh, if we'd have just joined hands sooner. How much more effective can the body of Christ be if we all pull together? How much more effective can your marriage be If you deny self and pull together, how much more effective can your family be if you pull together? Father, as we think about these things today, I pray that this word would not be one heard in condemnation, but this word from your word would be convicting. Help us to put aside that need to judge the need to somehow differentiate ourselves from each other help us from being focused on 
or what kind of songs we like or, or what kind of preaching we want or all those kind of questions. Help us to focus on you, to surrender to you. For it not to be your, our will, but yours that be done. I pray that we would pull together. In Jesus' name, amen.